Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast. This podcast is a production of the Westerville Free Will Baptist Church. We would appreciate it if you would subscribe, like, share, and comment on this podcast that will help us become better known in the podcast universe. Today's guest speaker is Pastor Mike Sammons. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Our guest speaker this morning is not really a guest. He's no stranger to this church. He's part of the pastoral staff. Uh, Mike Sammons has been on staff with us for several years now and uh, came to us from Plain City and the Freedom Free Will Baptist Church in Plain City. And uh, it is an honor and a blessing to have him and his family here with us. Uh, Mike is husband to Melissa. He's dad to Ashley and to Travis and to Emily. And just recently, as we all know, they have taken into their care Mikey. And uh, this, ble- this family has been a blessing uh, to us as a church. And it's been quite a while since we've been able to have him preach for us on a Sunday morning. Um, if there's one thing I can say about Mike Sammons, There's no doubt when you get to know him that he loves God and he loves people. And that has been demonstrated over the last six months in a very unselfish way when at a moment's call he would take off and go to Erie to care for and minister to the Castle family and to the Draculic family and uh, willing to just up and go whenever they needed him. And I'm confident that if any of us in this congregation ever called upon him, He would do the same for all of us. It is an honor and a joy to have him with us this morning. And so, Mike, come and preach the word to us. Now, I'm already a crier, so I don't know why he had to start going with that, right? Get it started. You might want to turn me down a little bit. Thank you. John chapter 5, if you have your Bibles with you, I hope that you do. Go ahead and turn. The scripture to there, uh, I talked to Joe um, that goes to our work this week that I was planning on talking about uh, the two resurrections that deal in John chapter 5 and 28 and 9, where it talks about the resurrection of the just and of the unjust, and uh, um, what that really meant and entitled for us uh, as believers and those that weren't. But as I got into John chapter 5 and, and some of the circumstances that I've um, recently been involved in, uh, some of the funerals that We've attended, and uh, also a conversation with a young man uh, this week at dinner. Um, somehow God twisted uh, this sermon uh, around in my eyes to something that, uh, that he would want and uh, that I feel and, and, and really want to, to relay it the best that I can to you this morning. There's uh, this past week and actually last several weeks, uh, there's been a lot of uh, circumstances, a lot of deaths and um, a lot of heartache. Uh, and a lot of trouble, um, and uh, some of the comments that were made throughout these situations and uh, uh, just really draw light uh, that people are hurting around us. And uh, somehow, uh, I think we as a, a church have um, found ourselves in a situation where, uh, where a people should be able to run to is exactly the people that they run from. Um, I believe that, uh, that uh, we have created a culture 
uh, within the confines of the church building um, and uh, our Christian religion uh, that has uh, welcomed only those that we have pre-classified as though that God has elected himself and um, has came preconditioned for certain reasons and certain people and with certain conditions of their heart. And what I mean by that is that we're willing to accept a certain group of people, um, and each one of us are probably guilty of, of different categories of, of people that we would be welcoming into uh, in our little sector or be willing to evangelize to. Uh, but it, uh, at any moment, uh, that, that uh, um, we can exclude uh, so many people. And so, uh, again, when a, a people should be able to come to the church and be able to feel love, know love, and be able to experience that love, we have developed phobias within the church building, within the church family, within the church of God. I don't believe that there's any room for phobia when you deal with, uh, with Scripture. And in John chapter 5, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. There's actually two different individuals that are experiencing some type of phobia within this passage of Scripture. The first one that we'll draw our attention to in just a moment uh, is an invalid or a, uh, an individual that uh, was paralyzed or had some type of um, physical uh, disability. The other you'll find in the pattern part of this uh, scripture would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a phobia. Both phobias were uh, a different uh, a kind and were affected in different ways, but yet nonetheless uh, they are very apparent within this passage of scripture. And the latter part, as you look through in verses uh, 16 and following, what you'll find is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a phobia of Jesus Christ. They were scared of what he was bringing to the table at that time and what he was going to rob them from. And in the first part, what we find is a man that, uh, for whatever reason, was paralyzed and uh, wasn't able to be healed. And so he finds himself at the pool of Bethesda and looking to be uh, freed from the, the issues that he was facing. And what we find also is that there was those that were around him that were unwilling to help him, maybe because of their own issues or what they were facing. And so I want to go through some of this in just a minute, but uh, before we get into the Scripture, just want to kind of give you a definition of what phobia is. Phobia is an extreme or an irrational fear or aversion to something or a hatred. Phobias are usually developed by the unknown, a stressful event in one's life, or from those who had fears of something and that those fears were passed on because of the anxieties of previous generations to the generations now. This type of fear is not your normer, normal, I'm sorry, where you might be scared of you know, the boogeyman or you're scared of snakes or of certain scary movies. Phobias are fears that are extreme, those that alter a way in which one would live. It's fears that causes you to hate and reject and lead you into a life of being consumed by those fears. And some noted, as we, we have today, is claustrophobia. Some of us might be uh, a little claustrophobic. I'm not that person, but um, if you would get into an elevator and you tell me your claustrophobia, uh, I might be one that kind of shakes it a little bit and jumps up and down and, and aggravates you. But So, uh, side note, don't get into room. Melissa's uh, aunt is very claustrophobic, and I've done that to her a couple times, and I've learned not to do it to her. Um, you learn really quick that's not something you do to someone that's claustrophobia. Uh, dentophobia. Uh, dentophobia is the fear of dentists or even the appointments can cause anxiety. Glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. 
uh, arachnophobia. We all know the movie, right, of all the spiders, the fear of spiders. And um, I don't know about you, but uh, we were actually uh, at, uh, uh, on a bridge and, um, this week, uh, and uh, there were several women uh, that I was uh, talking to as we were uh, doing the candlelight service for a young man. And uh, they were scared to death of seeing the spiders along the, uh, along the side and just, you know, hollering and running away from them. And, and so you might have the fear of, of spiders. Uh, agoraphobia, the fear of large crowds. I know I have a best friend, and you probably don't know who he is, but uh, he doesn't like to be around large crowds. Uh, we have those that are uh, agoraphobia. Uh, hemophobia, the fear of seeing blood. I don't know, anybody ever passed out when you've seen blood? Raise your hand. If you've ever passed out, someone's looking over and pointing at Sherry. Um, it's easy to point that message to someone else, ain't it, Jim? Um, not take it for yourself. Uh, an or- uh, ornithophobia is the fear of birds. Uh, I remember a pastor friend of mine uh, one time, and uh, I won't mention his name, uh, but we were, at, <laughs> we were at a national convention one time, and uh, he definitely experienced the fear of birds. And uh, not just the big birds, but this is also those that even the sparrows sometimes... Uh, <laughs> Can scare you. Uh, aquaphobia, the fear of water, and uh, not just, you know, uh, a big masses of water, but even taking a bath sometimes. I think Travis might have uh, <laughs> a little bit of aquaphobia. Uh, acrophobia, the fear of heights, uh, just that small step sometimes will scare. And I think most people are, 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 um, are facing this today is nomophobia. Anybody know what that is? Nomophobia. Right, not having your phone, the fear of leaving your cell phone. My wife will go through a complete panic attack if she doesn't have that phone charged up, be able to use. But we have in society so many, matter of fact, there's, there's probably a phobia for everything, you know, that someone out there has a fear of. Uh, this list only co- contributes to a few of those phobias, and reality is they're, they're just about everywhere. The sad part is that we have allowed some of those phobias, and I've kind of uh, mentioned uh, moving into this, that, that have creeped into the church. A place where hate should only be used when dealing with evil and fear should only be acceptable in the regard to the Father himself. And Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter as the uh, man would begin to uh, scope over his life. He says, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's whole duty. This is not like a worldly fear, as we mentioned previously, uh, as to not engage or withdraw, but is rather to respect him and his authority and hallow him above all else as the deity, period. I believe that, that, church, that the church at times has allowed certain fears or phobias to freeze them from engaging others with the gospel because of ignorance or even hatred. Again, I mentioned earlier recently I've noticed uh, that I'm getting a, a little older, right? My body is beginning to fail me. And uh, I've got some creaks and pains, and it wasn't just a couple weeks ago I took off a couple days of, of work and uh, didn't go in. And at that point, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to get this understanding I need a doctor. I mean, I don't have a family doctor, and, and that's something I probably need to, to look for. And so what I did is started going through um, uh, Internet and looking at places that would have maybe openings. And I would call uh, throughout Westerville trying to find a, a doctor that I could maybe go to and see. And most of them would say, you know, we're not taking any new patients. And I'd be surprised how many people are not taking new patients. And, and I wonder if that's not kind of spilled over into the church today. That maybe that just as the doctor's offices are, we have some fears. 
some phobias on. For whatever reason, we're not willing to take on new patients. Is it possible that we as the church of the living God are doing the same thing due to certain phobias created by our own unknowns or the fear that it might cost us something, some time, some energy, and most importantly, love? I would say that at times it is easier to hate than to love. Why do you say that, you ask? One of the things that I've been doing is going to Bristol, PA, for some leadership training. Within that training, a lot of times it's how we interact with customers. They, they really spend a long time of, of having you talk to you know, customers and being able to keep dialogue. And they, uh, one of the things they, they really beat on was uh, having open-ended questions and closed-minded questions and how to keep conversation and dialogue uh, continued instead of shut, cutting it off and, and losing that ability to communicate with those around. And I really believe if you bring that comparison to love and hate, that's exactly what we begin to do, is that love is an open-ended conversation. It allows us to continue to, to flow and have communication and allow us to pour and to invest, and many of us are afraid of that. Many of us want to run from that. Many of us want to ignore that. And so it's easier for us to hate, which is a closed-minded question per se, that allows it to be quick and over-decisive and then moving on with our life. And I wonder if we're not finding ourselves in that same situation. What phobias are we seeing in the church today? And I've listed some of them, and these are not uh, a total, right? These are not um, in all of them. I think we have even more than this. Uh, I think one of the things that we see as phobias today is those with addictions. Uh, those addictions of drugs and alcohol and the things that they face, immediately we become very scared to, to reach and interact and reach out to them and to show them the love of God. Uh, we close ourselves off because of whatever reasons that are going on in our families, our lives, and, or just the fact that we're just scared to death of what they could do to us. Maybe it's some of those with addictions. A divorce has been one of those in uh, throughout the church is that those that have been through divorce that we sometimes have a hard time dealing with that sin within the church walls and begin closing off and we begin to segment them and put them in one category and that they can only this or that and so what a, a lot of times what we do is we withdraw from ourselves or those that are going through the divorce the poor certainly they bring on a, a, a greater deal of attention and time and effort and so many problems a lot of times that we find within the poor. I know that uh, we not necessarily, or not necessarily think of the rich, but even those churches that are poor, that would, those that would have plenty of money and, and, and how to deal with that can also become a phobia, I believe, within the church. Another one is homosexuality. It's one of those sins, and I think we've even experienced it uh, throughout our churches here in Columbus and in Ohio and, and uh, with the things that are going on here just close by that when uh, we're dealing with those that are homosexual or those that feel uh, the same tendencies or things of that nature, we are very close-minded and have a hard time reaching out to them with love. We could go on. We could talk about race. We could talk about whether you're from West Virginia or Kentucky or if you're a city folk. I mean, there are so many things that we ourselves can find us where we begin to develop certain phobias. Now, certainly, some of these phobias are uh, definitely contributed by sin itself, right? We know that race is not one of those uh, that is contributed by sin itself, but when we look at the other things, we could talk about the other later on. That's another message. Something just came to mind. But, but I was like, squirrel. Um, but, 
Some of those phobias are generated by sin, and because of that sin, we have to deal with it as sin, right? I'm not saying that we accept the sin and the conditions of their heart, but we accept them. And so what we've done is we begin to uh, allow ourselves to be withdrawn from society. Are we so full of ourselves that we are missing the whole reason of ministry? Is it possible that we are so consumed with our own ideology of scriptures that we have created a new religion that excludes God's gift of salvation to all? And that's really when I look at the latter part of John chapter 5, that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. They had already created a mindset of what God's kingdom looked like and what in turn, when Christ showed up on the scene and he pretty much threw out all their ideology and the, uh, their way of thinking, then they were like, oh, what, what's going on here? And so it freaked them out, and they begin to have a phobia of Christ, and instead of accepting him and the word that was preached to them through the Mosaic, and you'll find that at the end of chapter 5, that if you would have listened to Moses, you would have known that I came to save the world. But because of their own fears and failures, they began to recede from accepting who Christ was, and they weren't able to contribute to those that had a need for him. And that's what happens a lot of times in situations when things are tough and difficult, uh, in emergency situation. Uh, some are, have no problem of, of jumping in and being a part of the solution while others stand in fear. And they're paralyzed to be able to be involved. And I believe that our churches today have become paralyzed. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. Is there room for limitation to God's love? Absolutely not. So why then have we created limitations? The reality is that we have these phobias that we have listed and that are centered around certain things. And we've got to be uh, uh, mindful that these things throw up roadblocks and it keeps us from being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5 and verses 1 through verse 17 is where I'm going to spend my time, but I also want you to take this passage of Scripture and look from verses 18 and the end of the chapter and see that phobia that is also dealt with by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and what God did uh, in speaking to them. In this passage of Scripture, most people would draw their attention to a miraculous healing, and certainly we see that take shape. We see a miraculous healing, and I've heard many messages uh, dealing with uh, this passage of Scripture talking about this pool of Bethesda. And people are uh, drawn to it because of, of what the uh, uh, physical ability it had at the certain times to heal certain people. And uh, there's so many healing messages that come uh, from this passage. One thing I want you to note is that every time that Christ began to heal someone physically, there was something a little bit more important than the physical healing that he was about. It was about the spiritual. And so a lot of times what we do is we immediately fail to focus on the physical and the outward without knowing what's going on the inside. And Christ understood more than anyone that there needed to be a change on the inside and it will eventually work its way on the outside. We talked about that this morning in Acts chapter 9. There's got to be a physical change, or spiritual change, that will work from the inside, and it'll eventually work its way out once it's continued to, to develop in that relationship with God. In verse 1 of chapter 5 of John, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and the Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, 
an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And I don't know about you, but that just seemed kind of a silly question. Why would Jesus ask? He's been there for a long time wanting to get into this pool, and Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Verse 7, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. Why am I going another steps down before me? Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered the man who healed me. The man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this, was, <clears throat> and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. I just want to hit a couple things this morning, and this message will not be long. i got to catch a plane. I'm going to uh, Bristol, PA. That's not the reason. But there's just a couple things that I want to bring to your attention this morning when we're dealing with these phobias, and I think we find Christ's response. One of the things that you'll notice when you look into this passage of Scripture, there was a place where these that were uh, down and out, these that had a physical limitation, they had a problem with their life that they hung together. And I will tell you that misery loves company you will notice that those that were within sin and, and that have sin in their life, and I'm not saying that these were things that they had brought upon themselves, but sin in general, okay? And so there are certainly those that are in this world that are crippled that God is still blessing and using and, and, and is beautiful. But what we find here is a picture of the outward effects of what sin does to a person's life. And so they found themselves gathering around this pool. And what would happen is an angel would come at certain times and we don't know how many times, it doesn't specifically say, but they would stir the waters. And as that water would be stirred, the, the first person that would get into this pool of water would immediately be healed. And so you can imagine the talk and the conversation that would have been around at this time about this place. And what we find here was a man that was there that, for whatever reason, didn't have the ability. He was paralyzed to the point that he couldn't make it down there fast enough to get in the pool. Someone else would jump in before he could. And so it was impossible for him to be healed because of the circumstances that he was within. I want you to understand the, the, the parallel to this and what people are going through today. I want you to understand and look past what the, the pool and all those things meant by, by, uh, in the fact of healing and understand here was a man that needed someone to come to him. Church, not everyone's going to come through these doors looking for you. Not everyone's going to stand on the corner and hold a sign, we'll work for food. Not everyone's going to ask for the type of help that they need simply by just coming up to you, knocking on your door, ringing your phone and saying, hey, I need some help spiritually. Can you lead me to Christ? 
that doesn't normally happen. What we find here is a man that needed so much, but had nothing to be able to offer himself to get him to that point. And I'm thankful that even in my sin, in my debt where I was, that I had nothing to offer Christ to be able to come to him, he came to me. There is many in our world today, and I was reminded of that this past week, of those that are hurting, that are in sin, and some that even know that they're in sin, but are unwilling or for whatever reason can't see enough out of themselves to be able to ask for help. And they're troubled, they're, they're distraught, they're, 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 they're hurting on every side, inward, outward, it's all over them, and yet the church has a phobia to be able to reach out to them for whatever reason, and so what we've done is withdrawn ourselves from reaching out. Notice what happens here. And I think we also see another point in this passage of Scripture is that we have this man that's laying on the side and other people look at their own needs before looking at the needs of his. Instead of saying, hey, we've been here for a long time, we know you were in line, we're ditching. And thinking about him and the, 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 uh, the imperatives that he had, I'm certain that there were some that maybe just had a, 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 a pimple and, and they wanted to get in to be healed from that pimple or whatever that was. But, but they see a man with these extreme necessities and unwilling to put them first uh, above themselves. And I think in our church we've uh, kind of grown accustomed to that. Actually, the world speaks of it, right? Have it your way. We're always given to, to our needs and our wants and our desires. And I'm not looking out for the needs of the ones that are around us. You look through this passage of Scripture, you'll see this man had been bound in an invalid for 38 years. But I notice what, what verse 6 says, and this is where I'm going to be pointing out just uh, four things that, uh, that, that we find what Jesus does. The first thing is in verse 6, it says, when Jesus saw him laying there. I want you to notice that that is a, a sense of compassion that Jesus saw him. Now you remember, there were crowds. What, if you remember what he says later on, he says, guess what? I don't even know who touched me. I don't even know who said it. You remember when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they asked him, said, okay, who, who, who healed you this day when it wasn't supposed to be done? And he was like, I don't know who it was. I, I don't remember. But yet out of the whole crowd, guess what? Jesus saw him. He saw the need. He saw the distraught. He saw the invalid. He saw someone that needed help where he was unwilling or was unable to get it for himself. Jesus had compassion and he saw him. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We need to be actively seeking those things out. We need to be reaching to them. We need to have a type of compassion, as uh, Brother Scott mentioned, that it's not just from afar, but it's close up. We need to love and, and to have that type of compassion. The second thing that we see here that, that, that Jesus displays, it says, And when Jesus saw him lying there, and guess what he says? And knew that he had already been there a long time. There's a couple things I want to bring out. One of the things that Jesus was there, he considered the circumstances that it was around. See, I think sometimes we get this mentality, hey, we're, we're on this weekend thing where we're going out and we're evangelizing, and so we just run in, give them a, a, a card or do this or that, and we run out without considering the whole situation. In a conversation that I've had recently, I, I've considered something, and it was brought to my attention that that sometimes we, we forget that even though that someone can be saved and give their life to Christ, that, that in the situation they're in, there's so much layers that they have to get over just to be able to live that out loud. Um, there was a time where uh, me and Aaron, 
uh, brother-in-law Aaron Reed at Pastor Siotadale uh, was a young man that came to uh, uh, Columbus first at the time and um, had been battling with homosexuality and uh, had been actively pursuing that lifestyle for some time. And I can remember having a conversation with him and talking to him, and there was an inner struggle, but he ended up giving his life to Christ. He, he actually asked Christ to come into his life, and, and he said that, uh, that he felt that he had given his life over and that he would live victoriously and just had a great hope. There was a, 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 just a, a sense of relief that, that he felt that day. And, and, uh, but I remember throughout the weeks following that he began to struggle, and there have been some, t- those some times that he didn't show back up to church, and and me and Aaron actually went and visited him. And, uh, and uh, we found at, uh, at his house that we visited him once there and had some good conversation and talked uh, uh, some Bible with him and went over some scripture, and, and he was struggling. He was struggling with uh, his lifestyle and, and everything that he had, 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 had pulled up around him in this lifestyle that he had to get through these layers of, uh, of, of sin and, uh, and, and all these things that were just in his life. And I can remember getting that call from, I'm not sure if it was the pastor at that time or someone called us that he was in the hospital. And so we had actually went and visited him in the hospital and we found out uh, through the conversation that he tried to kill himself. And I believe that there was that, that struggle that he was facing with being able to be free from the sin and understanding what Christ had already done for him and the layers of sin that he still had to work through himself to be able to overcome. Now God had already forgiven him. But there was still a lifestyle that he had to overcome. Listen, the people that we are going, uh, that we're finding in this world, that this has been a lifestyle for a long time. And there's layers that they have to get through. And sometimes as Christians, we don't want to deal with those layers, and so we develop that phobia because we don't want to get involved in something messy. Listen, shame on us. I don't know about you, but I don't look pretty, right? When Christ looks into my heart, he knows that there are some things that are awful and they're sinful. And they're ragged, but what he does see also is the blood of Christ over my account. And so we've got to understand that, that we've got to be considerate of what has happened. And I think Christ understood the circumstances, obviously. We've got to be understanding that these people that come or these people that we go to, that there's some layers there. And it might take some time to, to help work through those layers and not just to give up. Well, you know what? They ain't get saved today, so they're on their own. Listen, we're all works in progress. He's still working on me. I remember that song, To Make Me to Be What I Ought to Be. Remember Inspiration Choir? Melissa remembers that. I was the worst one. I was the only kid to get kicked out of church choir. <laughs> Wasn't just my voice. But at any rate, so we've got to be considerate. We also see in verse 6 and following is that there was that great concern He goes on to say here, he says, And when Jesus saw him laying there, and he knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? See, what I think what Jesus was doing is for him to say within himself, Is this what you really want? See, there's some people out in this world that you're going to minister to, and God's going to continue to ask you to minister to them and not give up on them, but there's some that are not willing to admit that they have a problem and they need help. And you know what? It's going to be hard to continue to minister to them. It doesn't mean that we would draw and we walk away, but just understand that it's going to be there. And I think what Jesus was doing more than anything was asking the man for himself to recognize his situation and to say, do you truly want to be healed? 
Listen, there's people in this world that will take your time, right? That we know that. And we don't know what like God knows and what he was able to look through in this situation. But what we do see is that, 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 that God wanted, Christ wanted him to see his need for himself. And we have to do that for them. We've got to be willing to, to look and to notice when those that, that are in there, to just to, to ask them for that response. And that response might be a, a response that takes a long time to get to, but we don't give up. We need to have that concern. The last thing what we find here is this cure. Verse 7, it says, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And, and I really want that to be the staple of this message this week. That when you think about that verse... Ask yourself, are you the one that's walking by that individual that needs to be put into the pool? Anyway, moving on. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. The last thing what we find here is that there was a cure. That Christ healed him, both physically and spiritually. And that God did a work in this man's life that he was at least willing enough to tell others around him. And he went on to share that with the rest of the world. Listen, I know that it's not easy, I know that it's difficult, and I know sometimes it's uncomfortable. But when the church begins to develop phobias within its walls, it is sinful. If any place that a person should be welcomed into the door, now listen, I'm not saying that we accept the sin, and we allow them to just live in that sin and act like it's okay, because love is not acceptance. Let's keep that in mind. But what I am saying is that we continue to love them and accept them into the family of God as far as into our uh, 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 presence to be able to show them the love of God. That doesn't mean that they're a child of God until they've repented from their sins and they move forward, but what it means is that I love you enough to embrace you. What Jesus did, he didn't walk away. He didn't steer away from it. He went head on. And he went right to the person that had the issues. My question for you this morning is simply that. What phobia do you possess that keeps you from investing in people? Thank you once again for downloading today's podcast of the Sunday Sermon. And once again, if you would just be so kind to rate and comment on this podcast, that will help us to become more discoverable in the podcast universe. And until next week, may God bless you. May you have a great week.